You're listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman. Mark and Caitlin, it is Friday, February 12th. It's another happy hour edition of the Bellway Briefing. It's our it's becoming our new routine. I like it. What do you guys think? I like it, but I forgot. I have tea. All That's right. as far well, as I've gotten. Spike it, Mark. Uh, so let's start here. Let's review the Super Bowl results. Caitlin and I were right, and you and Patrick were wrong. Okay, what's next? And not only were we <laughs> right, but my analysis, as usual, was spot on. I'm very proud to have been on the same side as Jake Schweitzer. So some of the best minds in the business got it wrong. You know, I'll, I'll point out that the only team to have beaten Tom Brady twice in the Super Bowl is my New York Giants. And the only other team to beat him is your Philadelphia Eagles. Really special. So we're doing okay. Yeah. You're, you're one and one or maybe one and two. Uh, anyway, enough Super Bowl talk. Let's start here this week. Mark, you've said a, a number of times over the past couple of months that Biden, maybe even longer than that, that Biden will be and is a transitional president. I want to put that topic on the table and talk about whether he's transitional or transformational or some other adjective. But you start, Mark. Where, where do you see this administration from that point of view? Yeah, so he is already a transitional and or transformational president in the sense that for the first time in American history, we have a woman and a person of color a heartbeat away from the presidency. So getting elected with... Vice President Harris, uh, as his running mate, is in and of itself a transition from 200 years of white men being president with Barack Obama, of course, being the I think we've shattered that barrier, at least. Well, I, I am talking about a woman of color here. Yep. And, and whether he becomes a transformational president beyond that, uh, I just don't think we know yet. I think it is his intention to transition from rancor and incivility and hostility to a kinder, gentler political life. I don't know that we'll get there. But didn't isn't what you meant that he's 78 years old, he's we don't know or think that he'll be a two-term president. Wasn't it more of a time thing? Well, that- yes, yes. The, uh, well, I'm not with you yet on the he won't be a president. Oh, I don't know. President. We don't know. But yeah, Joe Biden is likely, likely to be the last president of his generation. Now, if the 45th president somehow runs again and gets reelected, then that won't be true. 
But yeah, I, I think in that sense also, it is the turning of a page, most likely with Biden and all those who uh, came from his generation. I think the the president after Joe Biden, whether it's four years or eight years, is likely to be from a different generation than he is and than his predecessors have been. Caitlin, what do you think? Look, I think that would be great to see some some new blood, someone younger, a female. Um, you know, I personally have been closely following Nikki Haley's rise through the Republican Party, and I think she would be an excellent candidate for uh, 2024 in a post-Biden and post-Trump um, kind of landscape. But as far as transformational, I think about this more from a policy perspective. And look, President Biden has a ton on his plate. We are in the middle of a once-in-a-generation pandemic, and we're also in a time, as we've seen through the impeachment hearings, that I'm sure you know most folks have been watching throughout the week, and it's been getting wall-to-wall coverage. We're in a really divisive time in our nation, and I certainly hope that President Biden can be both transitional and transformational and trying to heal some of the divisions that that we're facing today. But it's a it's a very tall order. And um, there's you know, he's he's got a lot on his plate. Very well said. Uh, I guess my view on this is, you know, if you go back to last year when he was running, maybe even the late primary stages, I think the expectation was he would be a short timer and he was just somebody to get us away from the Trump years and to bridge to the next generation. And it was just transitional. And and that's what we were voting for was a, a peaceful transfer of power and then a transition to, to the next era of leadership. And by the way, Barack Obama is a lot younger than Joe Biden. So we've already, we've gone young to old. We've already visited the next generation and then came back two presidencies in a row to, to an older generation, which is itself unusual. But I think given what he's up against and with COVID and with the economy, and climate, I, I think that he is somebody who has changed his own perception of what he's in the office to do. I think he started out his run viewing himself as somebody to just get us the hell away from Trump and kind of bridge to the next era of lead, the next generation. But now, I mean, they're literally talking about an economic transformation getting us through COVID is itself going to be transformational. And I, I think this administration has a much bigger and bolder agenda than we would have expected or we were talking about six, six to nine months ago. Well, I think too, we thought the set, you know, a lot of us thought the Senate was going to go a different direction and thought that he wouldn't have the you know, majority or the votes in the Senate to push through some of the more progressive agenda. Obviously that changed that first week in January, but I, but I agree, Howard. I think you know, he's 
certainly moving forward, whether it's using reconciliation on stimulus and then again, probably on an infrastructure package later this year. Well, we're three weeks in, by the way, three oh. weeks in a day. It's much longer than that. It, it really feels, does. It feels like three months or years, which is a good thing if we can put number 45 farther in the rearview mirror. And I just think it remains to be seen what he can get done, to your point, Caitlin, that the the hand he has been dealt is daunting. It is a tough hand to play. And to to win with that hand is going to be a real challenge. But I agree with you, Howard, and Caitlin made the right point. Uh, what I think what happened to your point was for a while he was talking about uh, building back better. That was the campaign. He was going to build back better the economy, climate, COVID, the rest. Then we all thought for a little while that there was going to be a divided government. And it just wasn't clear that he was going to be able to get big things done. Now we're somewhere in between. We, we have a unified democratic government as long as you can use reconciliation. If you need 60 votes, it's still a divided government. And well, I, even I then, there's only so far you can go, right, Mark? I, I, Yeah, I would argue it is a divided government, even with, even the way that it is, even at 50-50, it's still yeah. so razor thin, it, it, it's effectively divided government. Right. And I think one thing that that has caused, and we talked about this when we thought it was going to be an actually divided government. Uh, one thing that has caused is a very aggressive executive branch agenda. We've talked before about how every president since World War II has expanded the executive branch reach, Democrat and Republican uh, alike. But we're, this is going to get pushed far and hard in this administration, especially on something like climate, which is other than COVID, as we've said before on this program, the highest uh, agenda priority of the Biden administration. They're going to get that done administratively more than legislatively. And that's a consequence of 50-50 being, as you say, divided. Well, I actually think they're going to be very ambitious on climate from a legislative point of view. I think it's not going to be in a restrictive sense. It's going to be in a job creating sense. It's going to be green jobs. It's that's part of the, that's part of the transformation. I think we will see. And, and I think it could be even bipartisan I think we're going to see a very aggressive bill on green, a green jobs bill, a green energy bill later this year could be bipartisan. Maybe it won't be, but legislative. And and then certainly I agree, aggressive action through the agencies, but yeah, I don't think he's not, a, he's not, he's not acting like a caretaker, which well, I think well, if yeah. you went back and listened to this, podcast six months ago, we would have been talking about him as if he was going to be a caretaker and he's not. And I think that I don't see that. I see that as a good thing, not a bad thing. Yeah. 
he can't be a caretaker because the platform's on fire. Right. So a caretaker is just going to go down with the burning platform. And he is most certainly not intending that to be a legacy. I think that's the, that's the point. That's the point. I think you just articulated the core point The the platform is on fire. And so the ship's on fire. Yeah. You got like, you got to transform the, the ship. <laughs> got to put out the fire. You got to put out the fire, but you've got to, you just have to think about it in a, in a totally different way. Yeah. But so, let me ask Caitlin though, because you were predicting, I think you're right. A very bold legislative push on climate through infrastructure and, and green jobs and the rest. But it, I don't know where the Republican caucus is on that, especially the uh, the Senate caucus, where it's 50-50 and probably going to be hard to reconcile a climate bill, because the it's not the Green New Deal, but it's going to be aggressive. And as we were talking earlier, the, the three of us, uh, it's redistributive. Caitlin, it it is not simply adding jobs to all the jobs that exist. It is transitioning and transforming the fossil fuel economy to a greener economy. And it it's unclear how far the Republicans in Congress are going to be willing to legislate that. Well, and I think, Mark, you make an excellent point. And I think that's why there's already a lot of frustration and sort of disappointment from a lot of the Senate Republicans What that Biden, I think there's an element of surprise. And we've talked about we've talked about this on this call before. He's going to go it alone. He's going it alone on COVID relief on the next package, and he's going to go it alone on infrastructure. So you're absolutely right. There's very unlikely to be a lot of bipartisan consensus and buy-in and Republican support on some of these more progressive agenda items. So I think that is going to be something that is reflective of what happens in the 2022 midterms and what happens in 2024, because Biden ran as a great uniter and consensus builder and elections do have consequences. And we Republicans did lose those two Georgia Senate seats. So we've got the 50-50 split, but the Biden administration has made clear that they're going to go it alone. So you're absolutely right. I I think it's uh, going to be difficult to get bipartisanship for something. And infrastructure was something previously that I think we thought we might see more bipartisan consensus around. Well, let me ask you both something. The we are seeing bipartisanship. Biden hosted a meeting yesterday on infrastructure at the White House with a bipartisan group of, of senators. He had a meeting last week around COVID relief with a bipartisan group of senators. Then his White House uh, press secretary gets behind the podium and says, we're, we're doing it anyway. Right. On, on, on impeachment, let, let's look at it from the other side. On impeachment, there were six members of the United States Senate, including one that changed his mind based on the presentations of the impeachment managers and the lack of presentation from the former president's lawyers. There were six, that, that was Cassidy from Louisiana, or there were six Republicans that voted with the Democrats on the question of whether it was constitutional to hear the impeachment, to try the impeachment of a former president. So 
I mean, there is Howard, how many votes to convict? That's what our listeners want to know. How many votes to convict will there be? I think the same number. I think it's it's 56. I think it's between 56 and 60. I'm going with 60. There's a couple. I think there's a couple surprises. I think we're going to have a couple of surprises. I hope you're right. Yeah. And 60 is starting to be bipartisan to your your the point you're making, of course, is that there's evidence of some bipartisanship and 60 is more bipartisan than 56. I have a question, not a point, which is, does that matter? Like, does it does it matter that? So, okay, so Biden's engaging the Republicans. He's bringing them to the White House. He's having these conversations. Yeah. At the end of the day, they're going to go it alone on COVID relief, and they're probably going to go it alone on infrastructure and climate. Does it matter that and and the president's get, the former president's going to get acquitted on in the impeachment trial? Does the bipartisanship matter if at the end of the day it doesn't pass a bill or convict Trump? Yeah, it matters if it's truly bipartisan. 56 to 44 isn't truly bipartisan and doesn't matter. If it were 66 or 76, it would matter in the acceptance of the action in the country at large. Well, then the affordable, the affo- convicted. Well, I'm not talking about the impeachment even, but look at the Affordable Care Act. The Affordable Care Act suffered dramatically and grievously from being utterly partisan. Picking off a senator or two on the R side wouldn't have changed that. But a truly bipartisan health reform bill would have found much broader acceptance in the country. So I I think it does not matter to what the law is because a reconciled law is as valid as a legal and constitutional matter as a truly bipartisan law, but it matters very much in the acceptance of that law in the country, I think. Completely agree, Mark. Completely agree. I think it depends who you it depends who you are, right? Howard, our clients all have a lot of really great opportunities in an infra, in a large infrastructure package. But if you're a regular American that's focused on getting Washington working again and representing all of the people, I think it's better to do something that's going to be consensus building and that's going to be a package that has buy-in from Republicans and Democrats. I think it matters if that they're even part of the dialogue, I think, I think matters from a morale point of view. I think it matters if if even if it's only six Republicans that side with the Democrats on impeachment, it's still six Republicans. I thought it was significant that Cassidy changed his mind and cast the courageous vote in the face of all of the the pushback this week on on impeachment. I I think it I think it all it all matters in in tone, it's not just how it happens at the end of the day. I think a lot, I think you can have a bipartisan process that at the end of the day, at the end of the day, there may be a partisan vote, but 
don't yeah, know. Maybe it's wishful thinking, but I feel well, like it still matters. I think it depends. And, and this is just my perspective is is post action. You're talking about the process by which the action occurs. I'm talking about what happens after it's happened. No, but even and if it's after it happens, Mark, I mean. I don't think there is going to be one person in the United States of America who thinks that the impeachment trial was more constitutional because of Senator Cassidy's vote. I respect his vote. I agree with you that it was courageous. But in terms of the the tremendous division in the country, you are going to have the Republican Party position be it was an unconstitutional trial, period. And Senator Cassidy's vote doesn't change that narrative. It would be very significant if 67 senators thought it it was a constitutional trial and and merited conviction. But I'm I'm fighting the last war. I'm coming off the Affordable Care Act experience still. That's like six wars ago. It took. But that's arguably why we got Donald Trump. Yeah, that's why we got the Tea Party for sure. And I just don't think if we this co there aren't going to be Republicans going back to their districts talking about the wonderful covid bill that was passed without any Republican votes. I thought it was the financial crisis and tarp that led to (laughs) Donald Trump and the Tea Party. Uh, I'm happy. I am happy, very happy to blame that on you, Mark, and not on me. It was a tie. It was a tie for life. Very happy to give up that mantle. Yeah. Um, what a time. And I mean, just to, to pivot in another direction, Mark, how do you see the administration shaping up? You're talking to people. We are all talking to people all day, every day inside the agencies. Everybody I talk to is drinking from a, the proverbial fire hose. Um, you know, I think they're ahead in some ways. We've, I've talked about this before, having been through some transitions on the inside, mm-hmm. I think they're ahead of where Obama was. Um, oh, yeah. but it's still pretty darn chaotic. How do you well, see things shaping up? 22 days is all it's. No, I'm, I'm comparing that. Yeah. Yeah. I, 22 I days think, into Obama world. I think t- I think the Biden administration, 22 days into its first term, is way ahead of the Trump administration and is a little bit ahead of the Obama administration, even though they didn't have a transition to speak of. But I think it's because of the experience of the people who are already in in office. I mean, my experience uh, in our work has has been that we're getting there. In the beginning, 22 days ago, nobody would call back. Now people are calling back and saying, I'm not quite ready, call me in a week or two, but at least they're calling back. So I think we are halfway to having a government stood up and, and running. Yeah, Caitlin, what's your what's your observation? I will my observation is this has been the busiest um 
couple of weeks, I think, in, in, in our in our industry, they are moving with a very swift speed. You know, they're, they're releasing an immigration bill text the beginning of next week. We're waiting on infrastructure framework. They're pushing forward on COVID relief. It's 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 amazing to me, actually, just how much they're they're moving quick on a lot of these issues and they are doing what they said they were going to do when they campaigned. Um, and it does seem, you know, when Mark says it's only been a handful of weeks and and 20 something odd days, it Three feels weeks. like it's been a lot longer because the sheer amount of new policy proposals that are out and new frameworks and executive actions. Um, it's, it's been a very, very busy time for us here on it our is. team, which is great. I might, Disagree. I mean, it has been insane, but last year when COVID hit, I gave these couple of weeks a pretty good run for their money, but in a different way. In in a a different, different at least way. we were all focused on one one thing, you know. Right. No, you're right. They are definitely trying to walk and chew gum at the same time. There is no question that they came in with a they came in with a plan. And I'll tell you, I mean. 22 days into the Obama administration. Nah. Uh, I don't think we had a secretary of the treasury yet. Maybe Geithner had just gotten there. Um, it was months before the Obama folks, at least with what I was doing on TARP, it was, it was months, not weeks, months before they were really, embedded in in what we were doing and that's why they asked me and 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 a couple of others to to stay and join join the obama administration uh, well and as you and i know well from someone we've both talked to recently who 23 days ago was one of the top officials at the treasury department uh nobody was asked to stay this time around Right. There was nobody a, was asked to stay. We're in as deep a crisis as we were when Obama came to office. But the the dynamic is just so different. And you were asked to stay a good decision by President Obama. But but President Biden didn't ask anybody to stick around. No, because this is a, a transition unlike. Well, because of, because of Donald because Trump. Because he's a transitional president, Howard. You know, he's a transformational president. That too. That and too. Hold on, guys. It's only been two weeks. <laughs> I'm not saying it. I, that's not a comment on whether he's going to be successful or not. He is trying. But it's a comment on how he sees his mission. And I think, I think six months or a year, I think before COVID, basically, I think he would have seen himself as somebody whose job was to calm the country down and get it ready for Kamala or the next person. I think now he sees his job as enormously, I mean, obviously being president is enormously important anytime, but I think he sees himself as an FDR like transformational figure, not somebody who's just transitioning to the next generation. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Well, and we, we heard the pushback from the White House podium again this week about um, how it might don't make the assumption that it's just one term either, which I think is they're, they're really coming out with that narr narrative that don't don't throw in the towel and think Biden's you know only here for four years. 
I mean, well, that's here's, here's an interesting. Well, here's an observation. You'll tell me whether it's interesting or not. It, and it may be a sign of where we are in a divided country. But each of the last three presidents, at least, has come into office seeing himself as a transformational figure. Barack Obama clearly believed he was going to change the world, didn't get as far as he had hoped, but did did a lot, I think. And Trump obviously came in to dismantle the federal government and then started pretty far down that road. It, it may just be a measure of how divided a government we are, that when one party succeeds the other in the White House, it's seen as transformational rather than, yeah, yeah, rather than a uh, continuation of of stability. And that is because, you know, when Obama was elected, the platform was on fire, got put out and then got relit. And it's it's just a measure of where we are, I think, as a country. Listen, You've heard me say a thousand times in my state of the world speech that I gave a lot at the beginning of our time working together, Mark, about where we've been as a country and, you know, 9-11, yep. the dot-com bubble bursting, Enron, the global financial crisis, now add COVID on, onto that we've been through an extraordinarily difficult period in the history of this country. Oh, yeah. If you're 21 years old as one of your children, I believe is, is, or is about to be, yeah. uh, look at what, look at what you've lived through. All you've known is catastrophe on a national right. level with nine 11 and the financial crisis and Trump, I would count as a catastrophe and, and COVID. Oh, Certainly traumatizing. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. I don't care whether you like them or you hate them. I mean, I care a lot, actually. But I, but it was traumatizing, I think, for everybody right. to live by right. tweets. So, yeah, uh, look at what Emily Schweitzer has has lived through. Yeah, it's insane. It's insane. And the previous 20 years had their moments, but they weren't like the last 20. Yeah. We weren't all packed into a couple of years. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. It's very distressing. And you're right. I mean, that's the backdrop. And I think Biden point about climate is let's not let's let's actually stop the next one from happening. Yeah. And I'm not smart enough to talk about the science of climate change. But if you accept the premise that it is a disaster in the making, I think Biden's trying to save us from the next disaster, which would be welcome after the last 30 years. Right. 20 years. So. All right. Well, our happy hour tradition continues two weeks in a row. Caitlin, you will you will not be with us next Friday, I know, because you'll be celebrating a big a big milestone taking a little uh beltway briefing reprieve for a week so it's a beltway briefing birthday edition don't have too much fun without me okay (laughs) thanks guys well i i promise you it won't be as fun as today was i want to note for the record that without patrick here 
actually each of you at some point said I said something smart. That that's a record. That it's doesn't a revelation. happen with Patrick here. I'm all in favor of of the three of us working together. <laughs> revelation. Very good. We'll have a great weekend, guys, and uh, we will we will be back next week. Thanks, Howard. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Yeah, Howard, Caitlin. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.